Well, good morning, and welcome to East Lake. It is 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. You just finished up. Is this how we conversation with Megan and Kylie? And uh, my name is Brent, teaching pastor at East Lake. If this is your first time ever checking us out online, we're so glad that you uh, did. It is a uh, church for people who don't typically like church, and we're so glad that you found us. Um, we are on a part three of a, a summer teaching series called Summer Remix, and the idea behind the series has been this. If you've ever... If you've ever gone to the Gorge before for a concert, like you've like set up, it's, that's a process, right? Because you got to buy the tickets like six months in advance and then find cities for the kids and you got to drive up there and the check-in process and, and then and you, you haul the, the stuff in, the blankets or, or whatever, because you know, you're not paying for the seats, right? You're paying for the grass because we're all cheap. And, and you do that and it's, it's, you're sitting, you get there two hours early because you want to watch the sunset and then the band starts going. And then the band says something like, hey, we're going to play some new stuff for you. And at first you're like, ooh, new stuff. This is cool. Uh, and then, and then they, they play. And anytime a band starts out with something new, especially a band that you like, you, you spend a lot of money to go to this concert. So you know like their, their whole uh, history. You know like all of their songs. Um, and then they want to play something new for you. And, uh, and it's always like that awkward, like you have to act like you are, you like this new stuff, but you don't know anything about it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's new. It's good, right? We like this, huh? I like that. And you kind of, like in a coffee shop setting, you actually might be like, I want you to play some new stuff. But when you go and make an entire trip of this thing, there's a sense in which you want to be like, hey, play the stuff we like, right? If they're just like, we got tons of new stuff for you tonight. All that stuff that you previously have loved and wanted to come here live, uh, we're not going to do any of that. But we wrote some really cool stuff in our garage that we think you're really going to um, semi-hate, but we're going to play it for you anyways because we're the ones with the microphone. Um, and so then you get this this sense or this attitude of, hey, play the stuff that we like. And and I, I oftentimes, like in this, in this sort of industry and in what we do, like I don't ever get that. I don't get that opportunity to be like do the stuff that we like. It's always brand new. Uh, can you imagine a Sunday that was like the same thing every week? I just like played the hits each week. And some of you are like, oh, I grew up Catholic. I know exactly what that feels like. But the rest of you, for, for a lot of us, we don't know what that's like. It's just like, it's something fresh. It's something new um, each, each week. So we said, what if during this summertime thing, when um, many of you are uh, watching this on replay and on demand wherever you are at, right? So you're at home, you're on the couch right now maybe or whatever, you're on your boat doing something um, in such a unique way, a unique season that I've never been a part of a church season like this and it's definitely gone on far longer than I originally thought that it would. Um, but during this season, what if we went back and said, all right, let's find some things um, that, we've, that we've done in the past that we really liked and, and replay those that, or remix those in a certain way. So uh, some clarifications for it. They need to be at least four years old so, or, or older. The talk need to be that old or older. It need to be something that memorably was like, I remember talking about this, or whenever I hear stories about that, I remember, or whenever I come across it in my own personal reading time, I know exactly like where I was when we talked about this or stories that jump out to me um, in that way. And then I wanted, to, I wanted to do something where it wasn't just like a repeat, just pull the file, but like rewrite it in light of uh, a couple of things. One, that we're going through a pandemic. Um, num- number two, that I'm like seven, six or seven years older than I was when I did that. Not that uh, that makes me all that much smarter, but it's just different life perspective. The kids are older, the jokes are different. In fact, last week I did an affliction joke that like leaked through into, I, I thought it was still funny and I 
when I said it, I realized affliction shirts haven't been around for probably seven years. And so that joke bombed. So that one should have been taken out. If we had filmed two services, that wouldn't have made the cut for the second one. Uh, and then I left out, Megan reminded me, a really good joke about all of this frustration with wearing masks and how um, I don't think it's that bad because when you go to Walmart, at least you don't smell the crop dusters anymore who are, are doing this to you. And I, and I missed it. And I, it was in my notes and I, and I never even said it. And I thought, when, when am I ever going to use that again? Probably never. Um, and so then maybe I just reincorporate it into next week's message. So there you go. Um, and uh, so that was the idea behind updating these things and, and, and whatever thoughts and, and feeling like, you know, um, I promise to do better. I, I, sorry for not having that, for doing a lame joke last week and forgetting the good one. I promise to do better, no better, do better, all that jazz. Um, so today, um, the talk comes from a series that we did back in 2014, so six years ago. Um, the series was titled, Why Bad Things Happen to Smart People. Now, different than we did a series even before that called Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. That's a different series. I, I, that was a really good one. But this was Why Bad Things Happen to Smart People. And the idea uh, behind it was sometimes we think smart people, as in like, you know, you watching this at home right now, or me or us together collectively, we think that smart people are immune to bad things happening because we should be smart enough to see things coming and then stepping out of the way of said tragedy or problem or issue or whatever, right? And yet, with high regularity, verifiably smart people end up in bad situations that could or should have been avoided, but for whatever reason, they didn't see it coming, right? Verifiably smart people end up in situations where you thought, what in the world? Why would they ever do that? Why, how could they not see that coming? Like what kind of flawed, they seem like genuinely smart people. You've, you've met somebody who like, they're so smart in business or they're sm so smart in academics or when they talk, you just, you're in the, when you're in the room with them, you're like, they're just genuinely smarter than me. And I, and I, I'm fine with that. Like I'm, I'm good. I've resolved myself to be in that situation. And then, and then something dumb that you would never do happens to them. And you're like, how did bad things happen to smart people. And so we're going to talk through why that is today, why I think that that's um, true. And I think a big part of the problem is that for us, especially if we've been on the side of, I'm really smart, how did I let this, something dumb like this happen to me? Um, we tend to overvalue our intentions on things in life. One of our default problems is that we overvalue intentions. And we say things like, well, I never thought it would get to that. I, I, I didn't want it to go that far. That was not my intention. It was not my intention to whatever. Whenever you're trying to explain some sort of extramarital affair or you cheated on your, your, you know, your long-term boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, it's like, oh, I never thought it would get that far. And it's just dumb, stupid. Whenever the, it, stealing from a company is involved, whenever you find out somebody somebody um, stole X amount of dollars from a company and they're interviewed with what in the world? How did this, how did this go on for so long? The, the phrases that you hear from them is, well, I, it never, I never wanted it to get to this spot. And it's almost like they're asking for us to like concede some sort of level forgiveness based on their intentions. Oh, you never thought you would cheat on me. So therefore your intentions mean I can't be as angry with you? Is this what you think? This is, what you're, this is what's rolling through your brain that as long as you didn't think 
you would get caught, then, then that's okay, right? Then there's like, I've got to like pull back on my judgment or whatever on this thing. We expect concession points or a certain level of forgiveness based on our intentions, but it really, we tend to overvalue our intentions and, and, and that's not really a healthy spot to be in, which led to this principle that dominated this entire series. I'm not replaying the entire series for you. You can go back actually at I think if you go back far enough on our talks page, you should be able to do the whole series because I think it was a really good series. But um, the idea behind the principle that we talked through was this, that your direction in life uh, and your, and your, your uh, not your intentions, your direction, not your intentions determines your destination, which basically means this. Um, if you wanted to go to a Seattle Mariners game, not that you can right now because, you know, whatever, but if by some odd chance you got a chance later this fall or perhaps in the year 2024 or something like that to go to a Mariners game and you wanted to go to a Mariners game and you got all excited, you got all dressed up, got the family in the car, and then you proceeded to go south on 395 towards Oregon, listen, you would not end up in your final destination being T-Mobile Park, right? No matter how hard you tried or really wanted to go there, or it doesn't matter the fact that you prayed in the driveway before you left. It's your direction, not your intention, that leads to and determines your destination. That's a principle in life. We know it's a principle when it comes to hiking and driving. That's like really simple to kind of understand, but we fail to kind of translate that into our actual life because we so overvalue intentions. And we think, I, but I intended to go elsewhere. Yes, but your direction led you here. Yes, but I really wanted to be good. I really wanted to be uh, true to this relationship. I really wanted to be a good employee. I really wanted to be somebody who didn't get caught up in a web of lies. I didn't know that it was going to be this. I just had to tell another lie to copy another lie to cover up another lie to cover up another lie. And, And it's always like, yeah, I know that. But your direction led you to this, not your intention. And so it's true of our career uh, life. It's true of our dating life. It's true of our financial plan. It's true of our, in terms of our health as well. In Proverbs, this is not a new thing. This is not an American problem. This didn't rise up because the, you know, um, uh, imperialistic America or capitalism's debt fault or whatever. This has been a true human condition for a really long time. The reason that I think that's true is when you look at some of the Old Testament, like we're going to look at specifically an Old Testament proverb today. It comes from the book of, uh, of Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, and Proverbs always does a great job of talking about, um, here's the best way to do life. And again, anytime somebody goes, this is the best way to do life, you always have to focus on the credibility of the person at hand, because that can be, you know, um, a factor, a variable in, in believing how much you you know, take from them at their word in this way. This, uh, these collection of parables oftentimes come from, or generally believed to come from King Solomon. Um, just a book of wisdom. It's a book that is a, a easy read. Um, and even if you're not particularly religious and like the whole Jesus stuff is like still, you're figuring that out or the Old Testament stuff just feels way too weird. Uh, this is a pretty safe book to kind of get started in and just be like, what do you find life value in sort of something like this? And in chapter seven, um, we are given a, a story that helps illustrate and, and colors in the picture a little bit for this life principle of how your direction, not your intentions, deter- ultimately determines um, your destination. Um, and it starts uh, with, uh, with him kind of in the subtext saying a warning about an adulteress. And, and, and there's a story, the setting comes from this story um, of Solomon peering out his window, watching something happen, watching a um, a meetup take place. And there's no 
there's no like, there's no way to know if this is an actual historical. I don't think, I think he's just talking metaphorically. I think he's trying to say, listen, I've seen this happen too many times. As we'll, as we'll see, I think it's not like we don't need to know the details of who it was and what his personal history was. The idea is like these kind of things happen. They never see themselves going this way and then they find them. This is why bad things and dumb things happen to really, really smart people is because they fail to see themselves in this story. So we're going to read this story together. Um, and uh, the text is going to be on the screens, or if you type in notes to your phone, you can get them on, on that, or, or go to eastlaketricities.com slash notes. You'll find it there. All right. Uh, and, but let, me, let me just, before I dive into this, and I should preface this, have you ever seen something about to happen, know it's about to happen, but there's nothing you can do about it? Whether it's like a car accident, or we were over at a friend's house, like a couple of weeks ago for like a small group thing. And Clyde, they have like this outdoor play set. And one of the, one of the girls um, that was at the group was like kicking, like just, just go flying on this, on this swing set. And I can't remember if it was like a tire at the bottom or what it was, but it was something really hard and plastic. And the, the fulcrum is going, is testing the, the weight of this thing, right? And, um, and then all of a sudden I see Clive running and I can just tell, like, based on, I'm not like a, I didn't, I wasn't like totally into geometry as a kid, but like, I could tell the timing was not going to be, and there's nothing I could do about it. I'm over here sitting in a chair um, and watching him, and I, in my mind, I remember going, uh-oh, like, and it's right there. And, and Clive got absolutely hammered. He went, he went horizontal and fell down, and everybody felt bad. And for, like, about 0.5 seconds, I could have done something about it, but not really. I mean, nothing, I could be like, hey! Uh, but that would have been the most about it. But you watch it happen, and then that thing occurs, and then just blood everywhere. Anyways, that's what's about to go through and down with this. Verse 6, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple. Now, uh, this word is going to show up a lot of times in Proverbs, so I, I probably need to define this for us, because this can carry a lot of meaning based on even like uh, like current context or vernacular or whatever. But in Proverbs, there's basically two categories of people, the simple and the prudent, the simple and the prudent. The simple are the people who are just going through life and, and they take life as it happens to them. The prudent um, are smart. They foresee stuff. They're the wise. They're the people who operate with wisdom. It has nothing to do with wealth. Um, it has nothing to do with kind of heritage or how you grew up or what kind of family you grew up in. Um, it does have everything to do with just using your reason to kind of advance yourself. And so simple is life happens to them, prudent is, uh, the prudent people happen to life, that kind of thing. All right. I saw among the simple, somebody just takes things as a hand to him. I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. This is kind of like the old man who's like pointing it and going stupid millennials. This is Solomon doing essentially that. He was going down the street near her corner, uh, walking in the direction of her house. So what he's done here, he's taken some, some you're going to see this, there's a pattern that goes one, two, three, like singular, double, and then triple um, of just, the, here's a millennial, he was walking, and then he uses this pronoun her, and then he repeats himself again, walking along in the direction of her house, which is essentially the same thing he just said. At twilight, as the day was fading, the dark of night set in. So now he's done it three times. He's setting up a story, he's creating a narrative, which makes me think that this, again, is just his way of kind of speaking metaphorically, but trying to kind of set the tone of 
you kind of know where this is going, right? I mean, anybody want to take a guess at how this plays out? Knowing that the preface on the front part was, let me talk to you about the seductress or the adulteress and, and the, the way of the adulteress or whatever. If you, if you knew that head title and then you saw this going in, you're like, oh, you want me to write the rest of the story? I mean, I know how this goes. I know what's going to happen in this way. But anyways, we'll go on. Um, verse 10, then out came a woman to meet him dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent right? Uh, Verse 13, she took hold of him. She kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, today I fulfilled my vows. In other words, I've gone to the temple. I've made my confession. This has been a religious thing. I've got no religious guilt over me in in whatever way. I have have food from my fellowship offering at home. They would make meals. They would take it. They would sacrifice. They would give some to the priest. They would take some home for themselves. It was a feast day. It was a celebration day. It was a a new birth. It was whatever. Um, I've got it at home. So in other words, I'm not a prostitute, right? I'm just, I'm dressed like one, but I'm not one. I have plenty of money. I'm not out for your money. Verse 15, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. The repetition in this part is, is like very important to understand. He's trying to, he, again, he's, he's trying to illustrate for people and trying to explain to them why you don't see these things coming and why bad things happen to smart people. And the reason that bad things happen to smart people is because at some point something happens to you and you react to it because you're a reactor because you're simple minded. And in those ways, you think I'm pretty special. She's looking for me. I was just out minding my own business. She found me. And apparently she was looking for me. I must be really something special. I must be sort of unique. I'm the man of her dreams. I came out looking to see her. She came out looking for me. At this point, if there was a soundtrack going on, it's bumping up. It's like eight or nine, like on a, on a scale of one to 10 or whatever. And then, and then she goes on. She says, I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. That's a weird flex, but whatever. Okay. Uh, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. To which you're like, ooh, cinnamon? Ooh. Uh, that sounds like it would burn. I, 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 let's, uh, let's clean that up. Uh, I do have some standards in that way. Um, but so, but she's, she's going off on all this kind of stuff. Verse 18, come, let us drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with Love. Now, every once in a while, the Bible reads more like HBO than the Hallmark Channel. This is one of those moments, right? You're going, Brent, what Bible are you reading this from? Proverbs, Solomon. I mean, this is where it's happening, right? Then she goes on. My husband is not at home. Well, good. I figured that, right? Um, He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse. Dude, that might be why she's not that into you and looking elsewhere. I'll be honest with you, boy. Um, He took his purse filled with money and will not be home until full moon. In other words, he's gone for a long time. You can come back tomorrow night if you want, whatever. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once, he followed her like a... Now, they finished this off, but... How would we finish this off? I mean, in our culture, she comes out looking for you. She's ready to go. Her husband's gone. Home's empty. Food's ready to go. All at once, he followed her like a professional athlete, right? Or like a guy in a music video. Or like Barstool Sports does features on guys like this. You know what I mean? 
But Solomon finishes, or whoever writes this, finishes this off for us and probably provides a stark contrast to what we think we would typically fill in the blanks with this. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping in a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare. <laughs> He's using like over and over. Like if you haven't got the picture yet, it's not, it's not a good scene, right? Let me illustrate this another way of an animal losing its life, little knowing it will cost him its life. And then he finishes it up with this. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Here's the moral of the story. He tells this fable, and then here's the moral of the story. Listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Again, repeating himself, trying to be really intentional about this. Don't be offended by the particulars of the story. There's a huge lesson to be learned here. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. And again, repetitively in Proverbs is this language of paths. We tend to think in terms of events in life. This is an event. Remember that one night this happened? Over and over again in Proverbs and in wisdom literature in general, both biblical and extra biblical wisdom literature in, in, those, in that time, would be conversations about paths. This is the direction it goes on. This is what people do. People operate in paths. Not that you're fixed and everything's fixed and you can't, you know, everything's deterministic and you can't change your way in life. But we tend to operate through habits and paths. Adjust the path. Be aware of the path that you're on because this is where that path sort of leads. Prudent people understand that life operates in paths. Simple people think, no, this is an event. He's trying to draw a con- contrast because this guy in this moment would be like, no, no, no I, I wasn't out here looking for this. She came, this is crazy. She was looking for me in like all of these scenarios and this is so unique and this is a one-time thing and this is, see, simple people think in one-time thing. This is just a one-time thing. This is just a one-time thing. Prudent people go, everything that I do is connected and this is a path whether I am trying to convince myself to try and relieve guilt or provide an excuse for wanting to do something or whatever that this is just a unique scenario and and I won't always do this but like this is this is special let not your heart turn aside to her ways do not stray into her past for many a victim she has laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng here's what he's saying in those moments, and in the moments that you're going to be tempted to do something that's just a really bad thing that shouldn't happen to really smart people, and you wonder why they didn't see it coming, is because they thought that this was unique. They thought that they were, sp- I'm, st- but I'm special, but this is, this is different. It's different this time. I know I've tried the guy at the bar thing like several times, but like this time, I, I really think, I, I, and we, we convince ourselves that we're unique and that we're special and that there's something significant about it. And he's trying to say, no, no, listen, you are not unique. That's, sorry, hate to break this to you. Um, this isn't special. Stop fooling yourselves. It's so predictable, it's laughable. It's so predictable, it's laughable. But it doesn't feel like that in the moment. In the moment, the simple think, it's unique and I'm special. He follows it up a few chapters later. In Proverbs 27, verse 12, using similar language, the prudent see danger and they take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. And you think that might be like investing advice for like pandemic situations, right? They see the danger and they pull back or whatever. But he's trying to say, this is just life. This is how life works. Prudent people see danger and they do something about it. 
the simple keep going, going, I'll take my chances. Or um, I can avoid it. I'm special. I'm unique. This is just a one-time event or whatever. Two people, two responses, two outcomes. The prudent, prudent people understand that all of life is connected. Whereas simple people think that life is, or live life as if it's disconnected. Now, if you ask a anybody, even a simple person or who, some, somebody who lives simply, is life disconnected? Are your decisions distinct from your outcomes? They would say no, and yet it's not, again, about what you say you believe. You only believe the things that you do. That's a general life principle that I tend to live by. Um, and so what, what, in this scenario, even though you would say, I don't think that my life is disconnected or the outcomes of my life aren't disconnected from my choices. Yes, but oftentimes you live in that way. And the simple people think that my decisions that I make today have no bearing or whatever on my future in this way, right? A naive person can't seem to connect the dots about the person or about the future, excuse me. And we think to ourselves, who would be so naive to not think that? And yet all of us do this at some point, guilty myself, right? Every time you eat something that you know is terrible for you, it's, I mean, like once in a while, the exception, whatever, right? You think about it, but you go, ah, it's fine. Once in a while, this is good. Every time you talk yourself out of going to the gym, every time you light up a cigarette and you've got this issue, every time you spend money you don't have, you're acting as if today is in no way connected to, to tomorrow. And we say, well, I don't believe that. I know, but it doesn't matter. What we're talking about is this principle. It's a principle of how life generally works. And we can talk ourselves into how it's events, but really it's a path that we're on. God, God often works through principles. In fact, the idea of gravity is a principle that we've just learned to live with. When you drop something, it typically falls to the ground. If you jump off a ladder, don't be mad when you hit concrete. That's the principle of gravity. Principles make life predictable. Principles are good things to have. By the way, we're never creating these principles. We're just discovering how they work. We didn't create the principle of gravity because we needed to figure this thing out. We, we just realized this is how these things work and we go in this direction. So one of those principles that we didn't create, I'm not like, we're going to try really hard to make this work, guys. This is like a real Christian thing. This is what the church should be doing. I'm just telling you in the life principle, direction and not intention determines your destination is a far more indicator of your destination. You can't repent your way out of this. If you keep going long enough, by the way, this principle holds true. There are points in which all your options begin to be bad. You stay on this path long enough, all of a sudden your options for recourse are incredibly limited. And we find ourselves saying, oh, if I could back up five years, there'd be better options. Yeah, except that you suffer for it. He, he says in this, that the simple don't see the connection in life and they suffer for it. When your doctor tells you, congratulations, you're now type 2 diabetic, that's not the time to consider cutting back on Mountain Dew. Like, oh, well, here's what I'll do. I'll start cutting back on Mountain Dew. <laughs> that should have been a decision months ago, years ago, man. I, I hate to break that to you. When your credit cards are maxed out, you're, it's, and you're afraid to like, take calls from unknown numbers because all these people are calling you, it's not the time to be going, you know what? I should do that whole one coffee a day. I'll just not do the whole, I just won't go to Starbucks and that'll match up. That's like, it's too late. There are more drastic things that have to take place. I wish I could, I, I wish I could draw this principle in for people who come to me um, for marriage counseling or going through a struggle and their marriage is like on the rocks and one person wants out and they served with divorce papers and they're like, finally, it's enough is enough. That's not the time to be like, you know what? Maybe we should start seeing somebody. Like we should, have, we have, that's, it's almost at some point you're like, you missed the boat, my friend. You missed the boat on that. So what do you do if this principle is true? 
what do you do if we take Solomon at his word and we go, all right, I want to live a prudent sort of lifestyle. I want to live as if life is connected, that my decisions impact, that I, uh, that I don't, I want to be able to see things that are dangers and do something about it now, as opposed to waiting where I don't have any more options to go through. And so there's four steps that I, I, I wrote down. Number one, action. You're going to have to do something about this. It's going to require some sort of action and response. Again, you either react to things, the simple react, the prudent take action on this because they want something different. And that action is oftentimes going to involve some sort of a sacrifice. It's going to probably suck. There's going to be some sort of decision that's going to be made. That's not going to be the way that you would want to do things. To sacrifice, you're going to give it up. And we're not very good at this because we, we talk ourselves into saying, well, that's it's going to be so complicated. It's going to be so, comp- my life's going to get so much more complicated as a result of this. It may even lead to a sense of embarrassment. And embarrassment being this, that people are going to make ba- and base their judgments on you on now. And they're going to think that you're overreacting and they will not understand. And you may not be able to explain why I need to do this for me. Because I know that in this moment, it's probably not a big deal. But I know, I, I live my life as if this is a path and not an event. And if I continue this pathway, I don't like where that leads. So I've got to make a decision now that involves some sort of a sacrifice that might feel like or come across as an embarrassment. And it's not a judging thing on you. You get to live your life. This is me. And I'm just trying to be prudent with my own personal lifestyle. And I know me. And I know me, and I'm going to convince myself that I'm special, that I'm unique, that nothing's going to apply to me, that I'm fine, that I can control it or whatever. And then finally, and ultimately, I think here's what you can expect is some sort of relief. And maybe not in the moment, maybe the embarrassment one lasts for a while and it feels like a sacrifice for a really long time. But a relief comes when you decide or you make the decision or when you begin to see the effects of the fact that today is the day you got off the path that was leading to destruction. And you think to yourself, what if I had not made that sort of decision? Or it's much easier to just sort of keep going. After all, you know, we tend to compare ourselves. We don't want to do these types of things. And then we, then we begin to compare ourselves to other people. It doesn't look like they're making sacrifices. It doesn't look like they're being embarrassed about something and, and, and whatever. And I don't see anybody else making these decisions. And so therefore, I don't want to do anything with it. So my hope would be that instead we would live in a mindset of somebody who's prudent, who doesn't react, who recognizes decisions lead to outcomes, that direction, not my intentions, ultimately lead to my destination. And I've got to make a few changes. And so a prayer And this was the thing. This was the thing that I remembered most um, coming into this series going, what what kind of talks could I have done? A prayer that we wrote or uh, that I wrote at the end of this message that has rung true for me personally. Um, And I pray it personally for myself. Um, And every time that I find somebody who's going through something that's really bad or dumb, and I think of them as smart. It's just a reminder for me for this prayer. And I'm, it's not a judging thing on them. I really, I, there's so much factors and so many variables that go into it. It, it. It's not that, but I'm just, I know that I'm responsible for me. So the prayer that we wrote a long time ago was, Heavenly Father, help me to see the trouble coming long before it gets here. Help me to see it. I've got too much to lose. Um, I know people who 
in my position who probably never, I mean, I, I don't think I'm at risk, but neither did any of them. And so God, my prayer would be help me to see trouble long before it gets here and give me the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. And if you've ever been a part of East Lake and you've heard our prayers at the end, almost all of my prayers at the end of a talk go somewhere along this, the latter half of this, um, this prayer. And the reason being that it's, it's not just about knowing what to do, it's about having the courage to actually begin to do it as well. So my prayer for you, ultimately, what I want from you is to avoid bad things happening in your life because I think that you're a smart person. Again, you're watching this. We're having a good time together in East Lake's your home church. I think you're smart. Um, I want you to avoid bad things in life. And I can't be there to hold your hand through all of that. I mean, we promise to be there when bad things happen and, and you know, support you through all of this. But I would love it for you to experience a life that is prudent that prays a similar prayer that says, God, help me to see uh, that life is connected. The decisions that I make now are not events, but paths. Help me to get on the right path. Help me to get off the wrong path um, and help me to see danger long before it ever gets here and then do something about it. So in conclusion, the question that I would have for you in this like introspective, there's no altar, there's no like raising a hand or writing on a card or anything. We don't do that anyways, but especially not when you're watching this at home. Um, are there any paths right now that you need to get off of? Are there anything, is there anything that you're doing right now they're like, nothing bad has taken place yet, right? But you've been treating it as unique. I'm unique. I'm special. It's okay. I can, I can dodge it. It's whatever. But if you're honest with yourself, it's a path that could potentially lead to destruction, and you get a decision right now. Because I'd hate, I'd hate for you to three years from now go, why didn't I get off when Brent invited me to on July 26, 2020, Right? Um, that feels like a regret I don't want to put you through. So are there any paths that you need to get off of in this moment? You find yourself going, yeah, yeah, I should probably do something about that. Because from Solomon's lips, he would say, if you keep going, you will suffer harm. And he's not, it's not a curse. He's not cursing you. He's talking about a life principle. And that's just part of like how it works. That's the reality of when, when you drop something, it falls to the ground, right? If you keep going and think it's fine, I'll be all right. It says you'll suffer harm. And I'm not speaking death to you again. I'm identifying a principle. And I don't want you to spend another minute on a path that is not taking you where you want to go.